Hi again, folks, and welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima again. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Hope you're all still staying safe and cautious and virus-free. Um, Japan, a bit late to the party, as usual, has finally expanded the state of emergency to cover the entire country and not just the initial uh, seven prefectures designated. And the calls to stay home and for companies to get as many employees as possible to work from home are growing louder. So many shops, bars, restaurants are now closed, which is a good thing. And although in some parts of the cities it still seems to be business as usual for some reason, um, I guess because people are just being stupid and because there's no real enforcement, um, but busy central business districts at least, uh, as well as shopping areas where big department stores are located, uh, which are now mostly closed, do look reasonably empty. So better late than never, I suppose. And with a bit of luck, we might see things actually improving over the next month or two. Fingers crossed. Okay, now we've been getting a lot of calls and inquiries recently from people who are looking into purchasing their very first property um, or properties, have some cash saved up and may be eligible for financing, which, as we've mentioned a few times this past year, is now more readily available to both residents and non-resident foreigners here in Japan. And the question always seems to be, well, which properties should um, I be purchasing? And while we always say that it depends on individual investment goals and criteria, uh, when you're looking at a cash versus financed purchase, your criteria really first and foremost depends on what the banks would lend for, of course. They don't lend for any property, and the properties which may be most attractive for the investors themselves, um, based on their own criteria and goals, may not be viable for a loan, and vice versa. The property profiles that the bank targets for loan approval may not be uh, attractive for that particular investor for various reasons. So for today's episode, um, here's a recording of a business call with a new potential client in exactly that same situation. So this is a non-Japanese couple residing in Tokyo, and they've been in the country for a couple of years now and are looking for their first investment property. So we discuss financing options, purchase criteria for different types of investors, and what can fit in their budget, which is 50 to 100,000 US dollars, in a cash purchase scenario as opposed to a financed scenario. And also a lot of the topics that we regularly discuss here on the podcast, so stuff like location selection, population trends, uh, rent growth or rent stagnation rather, the advantages of diversity and hedging, the percentage of homeowners versus renters in Japan, um, how to do property research and where potential deals come from, what happens to buildings as they get older, and we also touch a bit on our own services, what we can do for buyers, and how much everything costs. So here's that call. Enjoy, and I'll see you again on the other side. So 50, 50 to 100 US to invest in uh, small condos is doable. The question is um, whether you want, did, did you have any locations or preferred yields or any other criteria in mind? First of all, the 50 to 100 is without the loan, so um, that, that's basically our own capital, right? Um, so I assume we can go to a bank and, 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 and get some loan. Um, when I was talking to, to our bank, um, they talk for investments. Um, you need to bring a, about a 30% your own capital, um, so, so that's kind of... I assume that about another 70% is available of it. Um, or basically, uh, two times, two times more. So we yeah. talk about 100 to 300. So you, um, you've already spoken to your bank that you normally bank with, yeah? He, very 
know what the case is. Okay, but I mean, the fact that they've um, sort of pre-approved you is already um, quite encouraging because for a lot of people, foreigners in Japan, it can be quite difficult. Mm. Okay. Okay, so... Yes, yes, yes. Yes. But I basically said, yeah, no problem. Well, if you're going for a loan, the uh, really the main thing to consider is first and foremost the uh, bank's criteria because the banks will not loan for any kind of property. They uh, prefer certain locations, certain ages... Um, they want to make sure that you're using it only for long-term leases in some cases. Um, they want a minimum, uh, maybe minimum floor plan and so forth. So did you ask them about any of that? No, I haven't. Okay. Well, I mean, the first step would usually, before we start sending samples your way, just to make sure that those samples are viable for the bank. So maybe ask them right. if they've got any specific criteria. Uh, which bank is it, by the way? Prestia. Okay, Prestia are a bit more loose, so that's that's not too bad. Um, so, I mean, I guess they might want to go only for properties built after 1981, um, latest earthquake resistance standards. They might want to go for 1985. Um, they might specifically target uh, Tokyo or Kanagawa. Um, I'm not sure. So, if you're looking at the Tokyo area, usually... Um, 10 million yen, so 100,000 US would be just the one property and not very central and not very new. Right. And in that case, returns are probably going to be 5% net pre-tax at most. So when we say net pre-tax, I mean including all of your purchase and running costs, uh, taxes and any unknowns like vacancies, maintenance and so forth. Um, in that scenario, you're looking at about 5% tops, maybe 55 if we're very lucky. Um, if they're open to other locations, that could be potentially um, newer and high-yield properties and maybe even two of them. So do, do you specifically, I mean, do you personally have any preferences on location or is it just what the bank says? Not really. I mean, yeah, of course, it's nice with the central. Um, I think most importantly for us is uh, that we have, uh, um, you know, rental security so that we get a steady income. The idea is that this is um, more an investment into the future, basically building retirement funds. Um, so ideally, it's something that at some point pays itself off and then, you know, we have money for retirement. Yeah. So, I mean, the... Um the money, the amount that you've mentioned uh, is doable. Again, one property in maybe a little bit suburban Tokyo or two properties elsewhere if you're buying cash. If the bank is giving you a loan, then of course you can go uh, uh, more central Tokyo or you can, go, you can get more than two properties. So it will really depend on, uh, I guess, first what the bank says is criteria. And then if their criteria are acceptable to you, that broadens, um, that broadens our, our horizon as far as the budget goes. But if they specify criteria that only generates very low yield and you prefer to get something with higher yield, then we might be restricted to your cash capital again. So, again, the first step would be to see exactly what the bank's criteria is. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So we need to find out what, what basically the, the bank scenario is in order to kind of give you specs um, of what, what we're looking for. So we'll know um, what to research for you, yeah. Okay. Um so generally, you know, um, you know, listening to your podcast, not that I listened to all of them, but it seems like you, you're recommending, at least that was my take, you're recommending as investment, uh, small 
that correct? Um, just for cash flow purposes, if you are considering um, potential capital growth and if you are looking at potentially um, using them more creatively, like uh, monthly rentals, um, or, you know, in some instances, the investor might want to um, do monthly leases when they're not here and then use the property for their own holiday purposes. So then criteria changes a bit. Um, but if you're thinking conservatively, only long-term leases, which are probably the more stable and reliable, even though lower yield, um, and you want to get as much diversity, meaning to insert as many um, possible doors into your budget, um, and if you're not too concerned about capital growth, and if you'd like to have the um, added security of knowing that the monthly building fees pay for most of the renovation and repairs uh, to the structure at least, um, then yes, small units are the way to go. But um, I mean, look, if you've got 100,000 and the bank approves another 200,000, then you could potentially uh, maybe just about get a small building somewhere, definitely not Tokyo. Um, and you could also buy a bigger property and bigger properties usually come with a bigger land footprint as well because they have a bigger share of the land that the building stands on. Um, yeah. And that increases your capital growth potential if and when capital growth will occur, which is anyone's guess. Yes, yes, yes. And so how do you see, um, you know, like um, you, you mentioned it before, um, but the whole, you know, aging population, but more importantly, it's like the total number of people in Japan. Um, if if uh, Japan doesn't um, kind of open up, you know, uh, the country that, you know, over the next 20 years, there will be significantly less people actually renting. Um, will that have an impact on rental prices? Well, there'll be significantly less people renting um, in the smaller townships. But what that also does is it pushes people from the smaller townships into the bigger city centers. So most big cities, maybe Sapporo aside, most big cities in Japan are actually growing in population. And we'll probably continue to do that for at least the next 20 years or so because people are... Um, I mean, in some cases, smaller townships are just being deleted and canceled out, and then they're forced to move. And in other cases, they just move because they want to be, um, you know, they want access to better services, which are slowly dying out in smaller towns. So, um, I mean, Tokyo, Fukuoka, Nagoya, Kyoto, um, and even medium-sized cities like uh, Kumamoto, say, um, Kawasaki, etc., they're still growing and they're probably going to be growing for the next 20 years. So the population decline dictates more our location selection than actual rent. Um, on the longer term, um, whether rents will increase or not depends more on GDP growth, um, which is indirectly tied into population decline, but not necessarily. So if the economy does well, um, Generally speaking, then some places in Japan are poised to um, to rise in rents as well. So at the moment, for the next couple of years, we probably can see rents will, I mean, again, coronavirus and whether they'll postpone the Olympics or not aside, but that's more a temporal thing. Um, we're probably seeing rents uh, rise at least slightly in central Tokyo, Nagoya, Osaka and Fukuoka. Um, over the longer term, it's a matter of GDP growth, and that's reliant on a few too many macroeconomic factors to um, to be able to predict. But I can tell you that 
even when the economy improved between 2012 to 16 or 17, um, we haven't seen huge rent growth. I mean, we've seen property prices take a jump a lot higher than rent did. And that's probably because um, Japan and Japanese companies as a, as a specifics um, take a lot of time before, I mean, even if the economy improves, it's not going to trickle down as fast to salaries. Um, because companies are a lot more cautious than they are in other places. They don't pursue um, um, super growth like um, a lot of Western companies do. And they're not going to raise salaries because that's, um, that's really a commitment that it's, it's difficult for them to back down from. Um, so they usually wait for more prolonged improvements before they raise salaries. And if they haven't raised salaries, we can't really raise the rent, especially with the cost of living increasing because of the um, tax hikes. It's higher than most other countries um, that we deal with. I mean, most other developed countries. So Japan stands... Uh, sorry, it's lower than most other countries. So Japan stands at about 60% to 65% um, owners to renters, uh, which means that anybody who has a family uh, get gets married and has at least one child will usually be looking to... Um, usually be looking to uh, take a mortgage and uh, buy a place. Yeah. And because the average uh, child to family, I think, is about 1.25, so slightly more than half the people are in that situation, which is reflected in their buying habits. So about 60% to 65%, which is lower than most other countries. I mean, most other countries, people will look to buy as soon as they can, even if they're still single. I mean, they obviously they obviously can't do that in places that have bubbled up like uh, Hong Kong and recently in Australia, Canada, it's been more difficult as well. But in uh, most other places, people will look to buy as soon as they can. And Japan, not so much. either everything or, or the parts that you need us to do. So for customers, for example, who either reside overseas and, and can't actually attend in person and don't have the, um, the language skills or for customers who live in Japan but are either too busy or just don't have the language skills or the inclination to pursue by themselves, in those cases, we can do everything. So we start off with a property research based on your criteria, and then we uh, highlight some attractive properties based on that. And once you tell us to go ahead, we submit offers, which are non-committing, non so we can start getting due diligence info about the building and if it's tenanted and so forth. And then we uh, represent you if you want us to um, in the purchase process. So we attend the... Um, the meetings on your behalf, receive the documentation, review it, um, raise any red flags if we find them, try to negotiate if we can, um, all the way up to signing and uh, making payments on your behalf, which in your case is probably not necessary. I'm guessing you have a local Japanese bank account, yeah? You, you're with Prestia, you said. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the actual remittance of funds you might be able to do directly, but everything else we can do on your behalf. And then management-wise, 
We, again, if you need us to, we hire property managers, um, replace them if they're not performing as well as we expect them to, um, which does happen, I wouldn't say most of the time, but not, not, not uncommon. Um, and then again, if you're in Japan, you're going to be receiving income directly to your bank account. But once you leave, if you want, we can also collect funds on your behalf and pay bills on your behalf, etc. And then just transfer money to you wherever in the world you might be whenever you ask us to. Um, right. We also represent you in front of all other third parties if you want us to. So the building management company, um, insurance company, uh Tax authorities, as far as um, regular statements go, they don't require accounting work. So we can pay your property tax for you, the purchase tax, which is a one-off um, fee that comes after the purchase. And once you reach the reporting threshold and you actually uh, need to hire an accountant to file your statements, we can deal with the accountant on your behalf if you give us permission to, so that you won't have to uh, supply all the documents. We'll give that all to them and uh, answer questions, whatever they need. Mm-hmm. And then down the track, if you want to sell the property, we can assist with that as well, either through our clients who are usually waiting to buy, um, or if you know the property is for any reason not attractive anymore to our clients, we'll just float it on the open market again via Realtor Partners. Exactly. Okay. And um, what about finding properties? So that that's also part. You would cover this, or do we use a different agent to do so, or does it matter? Well, we work with, we work with real estate agents. So we're not a realtor. We're a buyer's agent and portfolio manager. So our services and our fees as well come on top of whatever the realtors are charging. And uh, in Japan, unless you're purchasing from one of our clients, there's always going to be a realtor involved. So if you're purchasing anything off the open market, um, there's going to be a realtor and realtor fee involved. Uh, and we work with them. So we do the research on your behalf. The best way is usually through um, agents that we've already worked with in the past because they've got us on our lists and they send us listings before they actually list them on uh, public websites. And if there's nothing that suits your criteria there uh, within a certain amount of time, then we'll just do some online research and see what's available on the market from agents that we haven't worked with. Um, And then, again, I mean, our fees come on top of that, but we also provide quite strong uh, negotiation capabilities if that's available. I mean, super attractive deals are usually not going to be very negotiable, but in all other cases, we'll usually find the places where... um, we can negotiate the price down for any reason, if possible, and then our fee usually gets more than covered by that. Well, the banks don't really like to talk to representatives of buyers. So the most we can do is to support you by providing um, information on potential properties that the bank might approve and give them the original Japanese listings if they want to look at them or present them with a a spreadsheet breakdown of what we think the uh, income and expenses might look like. So we can uh, support you with um, information to provide to the banks, but the actual contact with the bank you'll have to do yourself. They don't like talking to us. Will um, you know will give credit to uh, to uh, non permanent resident foreigners, right? 
Well, for investment purposes, it really depends on your visa status. Um, you've only been here for two years, so that can be a bit tricky. They usually, they prefer permanent residency, and if not permanent, they at least like to see that your business visa was uh, renewed a few times in a row. Um, but again, some of them are a bit more open to that. So Prestia is one of them. Uh, Shinsei Investment and Finance, which is uh, not Shinsei Bank, but a subsidiary of Chin Shinsei Bank, have also got plans for um, foreigners. Um, aside from that, you're a Hong Kong resident, so you could potentially apply to um, Oryx Hong Kong. You could potentially apply to uh, Bank of China, I think. Um, Bank of China, I believe, require um, Japanese or Chinese proficiency. I'm guessing Chinese is not a problem for you, right? Um, huh? Huh? <laughs> yeah, it depends on what they're talking about Chinese. I speak Cantonese. I don't. I can understand Mandarin, but I'm not fluent. Okay, I mean, it's worth a shot. I mean, definitely visit them and uh, or, or contact them and see what they say. But they do have representative uh, branches in Hong Kong, I believe. So that could be another option. Hmm. So, so these banks, uh, Oryx, Hong Kong, and Bank of China, they also uh, issue loans for the Japanese market. Yes, they do. Oh, and another one is uh, UOB in uh, Singapore. They'll require you to open a Singapore bank account, but that's a fairly easy process. And they also provide uh, loans only for apartments, though. So if you're looking at a building, they're probably not going to go. Okay. All right. Okay, cool. Any other questions? Um, when you said earlier about, um, you know, with our funds, it's possible maybe one property once or two small ones, but what do you mean by small or bigger in terms of the actual size? Um, size and age, so smaller and older in both cases. Mm -hmm. So whether you're buying one Tokyo or one um, Osaka property that's on the smaller and older side and quite suburban, um, or you could buy maybe two properties in other locations that are still smaller and older, but maybe a bit more central. So, for example, in... Um, Fukuoka or Nagoya or Kyoto, you'll often find uh, properties that are under 5 million yen and in relatively central locations. In Tokyo, that's just not doable. I mean, they started about six or seven, and even then they're not suburban. Same goes for Osaka. Right. So small is like those uh, what, uh, fifteen, fifteen square Somewhere between 15 to 25, depending on location and age. And the, okay. beer, the build year is going to be, um, we'll usually prefer to stick to post-1981, so the build year is going to be somewhere between 1981 to maybe 95, 2000 if we're lucky. How does that work for condos? Is that less of an issue? 
Um, it's not so much that they're going to be teared down. It's more the lifespan that people usually refer to when they say um, 47 years for reinforced concrete and then uh, I think 25 or 28 years for other structures. That's a tax depreciation lifespan. It doesn't mean that the property is going to be torn down. And then it depends depends on the property. So, for example, the big sort of reinforced concrete monsters that have 100 or 150 or 200 units in them um, and are usually built in uh, quite central locations, those are going to be renovated and repaired till kingdom come because they're cash cows and it costs a lot of money for a developer to demolish and remove them. And also the developer has to compensate quite a few unit owners. So the building management company and the owner's corporation that appoints them will try to keep the property alive for as long as possible. So we've got properties uh, that customers have purchased that were built, say, in 1973, so older than me. And uh, they're not showing any sign of, uh, I mean, slightly reduced cash flow, but they're still being renovated and repaired. They look very good. Okay. Um, but the resale, the resale value, depending on what happens with land prices in Japan, might drop. And over time, as um, maintenance and repair become more expensive, so building management raises the uh, monthly fees, if it gets to the point where it's becoming uh, not attractive for you, you might want to sell it, which is not a huge issue. If you wait longer than that and it gets to the point where the building management company recommends to sell it because it's no longer profitable, even on a Japanese standard, um, then they'll just go for the best offer they can get for from uh, developers. And then it becomes a matter of how many years of income you had before you sold it. You're usually going to be well in the green anyway. Um, but because, I mean, foreign investors tend to have higher yield requirements than local Japanese ones. So if you purchase something that's generating, uh, say, 7 or 6% and you drop down to 5%, might not be as attractive for you, but there's still plenty of Japanese investors who will take it off your hands happily. Um, so in that scenario, reselling them is not a huge issue. Um, if it gets to the point where they're really getting close to zero and the building management company and owners co-op decide to sell, then, you know, that might not be a huge profit there. But, yeah, understood. But they don't, I mean, before they're torn down, we've actually never had a case of anybody recommending to tear down a building. I think that's very far down the track. It'll have to be a really... Uh, really in sorry condition, and we haven't seen much of that, even with properties that are 46 years old or so. Okay. Uh, It's pretty straightforward. I'll forward some uh, documents for you to look at, but I can also tell you now, just to give you an idea. Mm -hmm. So okay. if each property is um, under 5 million yen, then we charge a 5% purchase or sale tax, uh, purchase or sale fee. Yeah. For properties that are 5 million yen or over, or if your entire portfolio grows to uh, 20 million yen or over, that goes down to 4%. And for portfolio management, whichever components you need us to uh, to do, I mean, we can you can get the whole management package, package or just parts of it. We charge um, again, depending on the property price and the portfolio size, but three or two percent of the gross monthly income. 
We don't charge uh, when the property is vacant, but we charge half a month placement fee when we place a tenant. And then, yeah, um, sorry. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. And then, anything else? If there's anything unusual that you need us to do, like um, I don't know, take care of an insurance claim or a court case. It's pretty rare in Japan, but sometimes happens. Or if you need us to, um, uh, let's say you're overseas and you come back for a visit and you want us to send your uh, income in a cash envelope to your hotel. So anything unusual that's not really included in the standard management, we just charge by the hour. Sounds like a plan. Okay. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Great Thanks speaking lot. with you. Bye-bye. Right. So there you have it. And this is really the thought process for many first-time investors. They're wondering whether to purchase with the cash savings that they already have or to apply for financing, whether they should focus more on cash flow or try to aim for growth, uh, where to buy, how old is too old, what happens to rents over time, and so forth. So hopefully a fair bit of info in there that you might have benefited from as well. So that's it from us for today, folks. We hope you've enjoyed this one. And before we go, just a reminder for you all. Now, again, is a really good time for anyone who has any kind of cash reserves in more than one currency. So say you've got Japanese yen here in Japan, um, either in an account under your own name or funds held by a property manager who's handling your properties. And you've also got an account in your country of origin, say Australian dollars, US dollars, and so forth. There's a lot of volatility in foreign exchange rates these days. Uh, We've mentioned a couple of weeks ago that the Japanese yen has peaked against quite a few currencies. Most of these have at least slightly recovered since then, but still it's very much worth your while to monitor these rates and capitalize on them by signing up with a Forex provider. So you can quickly and profitably remit funds across whenever you see a peak one way or the other. Uh, We work with OFX, as we mentioned, and we'll put our partner referral link in this episode show notes again. If you sign up through that link, you'll enjoy fee-free transfers on top of the excellent rates and services that they offer. Um, And those rates are always better than the banks. And if you're not residing in Japan, but you're considering buying property here, even if it's at some point in the distant future and you don't have a particular property lined up for purchase yet, you can sign up with us as our clients, which then enables you to use us as your Japanese bank account, so to speak, and to send funds across in preparation for any future purchase. So this combination of signing up with us and with OFX or using another Forex provider, if you already got an account with one, uh, you can start capitalizing on those exchange rate fluctuations right now when it's attractive to do so, rather than wait for the last minute just before you purchase when rates might be less attractive. And this is also something that we've discussed here in the past. We actually had an entire episode on how to capitalize on exchange rates in the context of overseas property investment. So we'll link to this episode in the show notes as well. All right, that's really it from uh, us for today now. Stay safe, stay at home, uh, but don't stay idle. Now is an excellent time to buy, at least here in Japan. So make sure you've got the infrastructure in place to jump in when the right deal presents itself. And don't forget, times of crisis are also times of opportunity. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, yoroshiku.